Check, check. Hey, folks. Folks. Talking to you. I feel good. Yeah, I feel really, really good. You with me? Are we floating on a cloud of positivity today? Come on, folks. I just got back from the Y. It's fun to stay at the YMCA. Young man. Who would actually know the next lyric? Young man. That's it, I said, young man. Yeah, it is fun to stay at the YMCA. I did the weights. I did the treadmill. I did the elliptical. I got in the sauna. I kept my bathing suit on in the sauna, okay? I got in the hot tub, and my fingers got pruny within the first three seconds of being in the hot tub. Does that mean I have a disorder? Probably. And then... Oh, yes, the cherry on top. I showered with the nice, wrinkly, old, naked men. I did. I did. Hi, Earl. Herman, good to see you. Snap a towel at him. Gene, you look great. You look great. Oh, the nice, wrinkly, naked old man at the Y. And guess what? I'm becoming a nice, wrinkly, old, naked man at the Y. So I found my new crew. Forget my current friends. Trying to be all hip, trying to be all young, trying to follow the fads. Fuck them. I got my new crew. Hello, Walter. I see what you're doing with your nuts. Beautiful. I meditated. I did my meridian tapping. I ate a meal without ranch. I mean, there was some ranch, but not too much ranch. I'm good. I'm good right now. I'm also smart enough to know that this will pass. We can't aspire to live in this headspace where we're floating. I did the sun. I did weights. Okay, you've heard it all. I got a day pass, by the way. Not a full gym membership. You can just drop in. Drop in. Day pass. I can't commit yet. You know what's interesting? Life can have a bigness to it. I think for most people it does, actually. You feel like your issues, your surroundings matter most it's just how you're viewing the world through your own lens so there's a bigness to your own little tiny existence but for some they can feel really small and that's a problem for some they might feel like everything is meaningless what are we doing everything is meaningless well planet earth did not come with a set of instructions i'm going to say that again our planet this natural world it didn't come with a set of instructions so everything that's been created everything you see that's ever been created by man or woman or anyone it's either been to make some money or to create comfort i think everything can fall into those two categories everything created is either for money or to create some level of comfort emotional comfort physical comfort Give me anything beyond the natural world that's been created by humans and I can make the case that it's either for comfort or money. So if you look at all the many things from religion to industrialization to transportation, how we travel, jobs, careers, education, weapons, conflict, all this man-made bullshit. If you look at all of it and you go, it's all meaningless, who gives a shit? then you might fall into this category called nihilist. I had a student ask me about nihilism two years ago. Raised his hand halfway through the school year and said, are we going to learn about nihilism? And I said, I don't really know what that is. I'm honest with my students. If I don't know something, I don't fake it. 
I do not fake it. I say, you teach me about this. What are you talking about? Nihilism. So nihilism, as I had to look it up, it's this mindset, it's this philosophy that human existence has no meaning. None of this shit has meaning. Any moral, social constructs are just illusions. That's the definition. Faith in anything. So if you have faith in anything, it just blinds you from the truth. And what's the truth? There are no real moral principles. There are no religious values. This is just things we've created. There's no real political institutions. It's just a bunch of BS that we all buy into, or most people buy into. But if you can't buy into any of it, all these social structures, all these principles, then it'll probably leave you in a depressed state. But is it wrong? That's the question. Nihilists. It's all meaningless. It's all BS. Everything we've created and we're told to buy into. Buy into this. Worship that. Aspire to do this. All of it. If it looks like a hot, steaming pile of bullshit to you, that might be depressing. So if I had a student who's a nihilist, which he claimed to be, and here I am teaching him history, and he was not a bad student. Actually, he didn't do much work, but that's beside the point. He was interested in learning about nihilism in a history class. So at least he showed some interest. If everything else was meaningless, I mean, this kid probably jumps from PE to math to English to Spanish to art to music to my history class. He just goes, who gives a shit about any of this? But the fact that he was so interested in this one topic, nihilism, it's interesting to think that some people, it's almost like a curse. If you can't find meaning in all of this, and when I say all of this, I genuinely mean all of this, then that's a tough existence. But on the flip side, if you buy into all of it, if you're just like, I'm a church going, working man, and I have a wife, and I believe in this institution, and I believe in this institution, and I believe in the schools, and I believe in... All the moral principles I've ever been taught, and I follow the rules, and I don't question much. Then you might just be sheep. You might just be cattle going with the current. And you don't get to really examine your individuality. That's also a curse. If your whole life has been so structured every step of the way, adults have told you the path. That's the path. You stay on this path. You don't question shit. That's also a curse. And then if you look at that path and you go, none of it's good. None of it matters. Who gives a shit? That's also a rough headspace to live with. Neither are right. Neither are wrong. It's just further proof that God is a metaphor. That's what Joseph Campbell said. I heard Pete Holmes talking about it, and it's the smartest thing I've ever heard. I've talked about it before. God, it doesn't have to be religious. If you ask someone, do you believe in God? Why does that have to be a religious question? because we formed these ideas of gods. We formed these stories of gods. Hey, that's a scripture. That's the doctrine I follow. That's the God I'm asking you about. No, if I ask anyone, do you believe in God? You could take the religion out of it and just think of God as a metaphor, a word that just transcends all humans. It's just a word. It transcends religions. Just the word God. You picture something? You're actually picturing something? Maybe you're not supposed to. Maybe God is just a placeholder word for maybe some supreme being or just a force that created this giant mystery. And mysteries are way too uncomfortable for people. That's what I've realized. Mysteries make people so uncomfortable that they need to make stories up. Uh, He has a long white beard and he's in the clouds. And he parts the sea and he has magical powers. That's God. And he arrived at this point in human history. And you're like, no, you can't just have people writing the story of who God is. 
Like I said, planet Earth did not come with a set of instructions. All of this is man-made because God is a word in stories. People do picture it and they think it's so religious. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? It's not even a religious question. Even me, I picture God, I think at least as a kid, as a man with a white beard in the clouds. I'm not making that up. Probably because I've seen it in movies. Oh God, you devil, George Burns. A man with a birthday? God is a man with a birthday? How dumb do we sound when we actually start depicting man with these human characteristics? But along those lines, I do like the concept of God, which was perfectly summed up by someone named Paul Davies. This is a quantum physicist, so I think he's a little smarter than me. A quantum physicist. I read this quote by Paul Davies, and he said, quote, I belong to the group of scientists who do not subscribe to a conventional religion, but nevertheless deny that the universe is a purposeless accident. Through my scientific work, I have come to believe more and more strongly that the physical universe is put together with an ingenuity so astonishing that I cannot accept it merely as a brute fact. There must, it seems to me, be a deeper level of explanation. Whether one wishes to call that deeper level God, that's a matter of taste and definition. End quote. That's a quantum physicist who's basically saying, all of this is too beautiful, it's too amazing, it's too astonishing to just say, it's random, it's purposeless, it's meaningless. I kind of like that. I like when a scientist could still use the word God, but it's detached from religious thinking. It's more just like this metaphor, just a placeholder word for, yeah, they're probably was a supreme force. Let's call it a supreme force that had the master recipe for all these things that are just wonderful. My wife told me, my wife told me the other day that the reason fruit have seeds is because when animals, when wild animals eat the fruit, they shit it out. And then those seeds help the fruit procreate and get, ah, I wish she was here. I'm going to screw this up. I don't know, but it's just how... Humans, we procreate and we continue our life form, but how nature does it as well, it's beyond choice. It's just how things continue. Evolution, it's a beautiful thing. How our human bodies function. I know we malfunction too. I know know all the negative shit. Don't get me wrong. But when things start to work so beautifully, like how you feel about your kids or how you feel after you shower with the wrinkly old naked nice men at the Y, how I feel right now, like really good. You take a step back, you zoom out, and you go, wow, what a cool design. There's brain chemicals I'm experiencing that are allowing me to embrace a moment. And then even during the shitty times, that's when a lot of people turn to God, a concept of God, like, please, God, please help. Just the idea of prayer altogether. It's more of a supreme force than a character in a book, a character with a big white beard in a book. I love that quote. That Paul Davies quote, I'm going to tattoo that right on my neck. Right on my neck. I belong to the group of scientists who do not subscribe to a conventional religion, but nevertheless deny that the universe is a purposeless accident. Hey, I'm both. I could see it being some incredible plan from some supreme force, but I'm a quantum physicist, so you won't see me in church or synagogue. Hey, are people still curious about Ukraine? You remember when Ukraine started? War in Ukraine started? It's all the tweets. It was all the posts on Facebook, Instagram. It's all the articles. It's all the news stories. You remember that? Is it still? I'm actually questioning this. Is it still at the forefront of our thoughts? Because people are still suffering. Lives are still being destroyed. But 
Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Steph Curry got injured. A new Harry Styles song came out. Euphoria Season 2 is on. Your kids probably have a baseball game. Your friend at work invited you for happy hour. How many things can we focus on? I think Putin and other dictators know this. That certain things could fall out of the news cycle. The short attention span generation can't hang on to something too long. I do think a lot of people are still very interested in getting the updates from Ukraine. But not like when it started. Not like when it started. This news cycle is so rapid that if something stays around for three, four, five, six days, that's monumental. Most big stories fade so quickly because our brains just move on to the next. We move on to the next. We do it with our own lives. We do it with our own mini milestones. I mean, think about what you worked hard to do. Graduate. Uh, set up a wedding. Think about what you've worked hard to do. Get a job and then it just immediately becomes part of your rear view. You just keep moving forward. We just keep moving forward. It's like my Beagle Muggsy. They said even if you have a mansion, he's going to walk to the front door because he wants to walk. He wants to explore. He wants to experience a journey. That's all of us. We're on this mental journey. What else can I learn? What else can I learn? We don't reflect. We do not reflect enough. You know we don't reflect enough. I'm drinking a lot of coffee right now, so stay with me. This is not in fast forward. If you're listening to this Apple podcast at 1.5 to 2 speed, it's probably too fast, so slow down. You're going to have a heart attack. Slow it down. I'm going to speak fast today. I'm going to speak fast because this There's a lot of topics I want to get into, but I do want you to understand that our minds are always going forward, 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 like Muggsy the Beagle. Even if he lived in a mansion with a big, big yard, huge yard, he's still going to the front door and saying, what's out there? What else is out there? A lot of people who read and read and read, they keep reading books, more books, more books. They don't just stop and reflect. Maybe they're a part of a book club with a bunch of other people reading the book, but is that even fun? I have always liked the idea of being in a book club, but would it even be fun Hey, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Oh, interesting. We all have the same thoughts. We all enjoy the book. Moving on. What are they serving? Martinis? Gin or vodka? How many olives? Onions? We don't have onions. Just olives? Okay. Garlic stuff? Blue cheese? You tell me. Are as many people focused on Ukraine? That's just my question. And if the answer is no, it's only been like a month and a half. It's only been a month and a half. What if this keeps going and going and going for a full year or even two years? How many people around the world are still going to have this in their newsfeed, their tweet, tweet, tweet cycle that just keeps going and going and going to the point where we stop caring about what matters and we just talk about Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. But even that's old news. And even that's proof that we could talk about shit that doesn't totally matter. I mean, it matters if you want to defend comedy or you care so deeply about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and what he did and alopecia and all these other topics that people still want to discuss. But really take two steps back. It doesn't matter, right? But it almost seemed like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock became as big of a headline as war in Ukraine because our minds, our dumb fucking human minds can't wrap around the heaviest topics for too long. If it gets too heavy for too long, we take three steps back and then we talk about Will Smith should not have slapped him. Well, he did talk about his wife, but why was this a debate? Why was this a debate for four days? I mean, we all have opinions. Maybe, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 minutes of opinions. It lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted. God is a metaphor. Last week, with my journalism students, I gave them all a yearbook. The library at the high school I work with has all the yearbooks in the history of Novato High School going back to the 50s. And I just grabbed a bunch. I grabbed about 30 yearbooks. And I just handed random yearbooks to the kids. I said, you got 1988. You got 1993. You have 1977. Here, you got 1969. And they all were assigned one yearbook. 
And the assignment, the activity was write down 10 observations, full sentences, not bullet points. You write full sentences and then write down a headline. Try to capture what it was like for teenagers back in 1982. If that was the yearbook you got, then I want you to write a headline. And almost like you're living back then, write a lead for a story. So just by looking at pictures, try to capture the mood, try to capture the zeitgeist, try to capture the essence of what's happening in the year of the yearbook you receive. And they did an amazing job, but there was such a level of discomfort looking at some of these photos because so much is now deemed politically incorrect. And these are sensitive teens. If you're a part of this generation in Marin County right now, then you don't want to see blackface. And there was a lot of blackface in the high school yearbook. Guys just dressed up as Run DMC with black face paint. And I don't think it represents these are racist teens at Novato High in 1988. I just think people weren't questioning it. This was the opposite of the woke generation. This was more the sheep generation. Just go with the flow. Whatever you see, you're allowed to do it. People were dressed up as Mexicans for spirit days. There was a spirit day called Slave Day. And we're all just talking about these yearbooks. Like, can you believe they used to have this category Best body, best kisser for the senior superlatives. And oh my God, look at this picture. You can't wear that. You can't do that anymore. And why do the senior boys look like grown ass men? And you know, it's all these questions of, wow, they used to have donkeys come here for donkey basketball. There was boxing night in the gym where people just filled the gym to watch a couple students box and on and on and on about things that are now uh, politically incorrect. We're too sensitive for it. We have moved on. We've evolved. How about that? We've evolved. But just in 70 years, to think about how fast we've evolved in many ways, it's uplifting. The fact that a lot of these teens were like, you can't do that, and I don't want to see that. That looks like bullying. That looks like racism. That looks like bigotry. It was very impressive, but it was also weird to think about how recent 1989 really was. When there was blackface, when there was slave day at this high school, when there was people dressed as Mexicans based on whatever pop culture showed them Mexicans were. And it was just a whiter school back then. The demographics have changed. The sensitivities have changed. And they did well. It just turned into a big fat discussion before spring break. Just let's have a fun project before we get back into the grind of the newsroom. Back into the grind of the newsroom. Hey folks, bibliographies? No thanks. What are we doing? There's a lot of shit we don't question in the world of education. We just keep doing it and doing it and doing it round. What's that, LL? It's true. We just keep doing it and doing it and doing it round. But bibliographies work cited. Just attribute the link to the website. I've been doing a project. It has a written component for eight years with my students, and it's always like, and then cite your sources with Chicago 8th edition or MLA APA 7th edition, and this has to be squiggle line, and this has to be italics, and make this bold, and then give me the year, and give me the publishing company, and it takes the kids like 20 minutes, and none of it fucking matters. Work cited, endnotes, footnotes in a proper Chicago-style form. It takes them about 20 minutes. Enough. I know some teachers will disagree with me right now, but what a total waste of time. The fact that we've all done this, right? When we've written essays in high school or history projects and they say, okay, for your work cited page, for your bibliography, make sure you underline this, indent one, two, three spaces, and then bold quotation mark, put the semicolon before the publishing company and then the date. Why not just copy the link and paste it? I believe in attribution. Don't get me wrong. I fully understand why work cited is necessary, but why can't a kid just say, yeah, I read it on this website. Boom, we're done. Bibliography should be extinct by now. We're wasting their time. What are teens learning? What are they learning? Just provide the source and move on. If it's a book, just tell me the author and title. We're done. Just tell me the author and title. I don't need the date. 
I don't need New York. I don't need Penguin Company. I don't need italics for the all these things. It takes so long. No need for italics volume. The publisher, the year, all this stuff. Should, Mr. Rosenberg, should we use MLA 8th edition or 6th edition for the bibliography? The bibliography? How many teachers in the history of assigning bibliographies? Here's the question. If teachers are going to assign something, they have to actually assess if the students are doing it well. How many teachers in the history of high school are looking at all the bibliographies? Well, this should be indented and they got the publishing company wrong. That's Macmillan. And they clearly wrote Dawson. Shit, I need to grade them down. Do you grade them down? No, just attribute it and move on. What are we teaching? We're teaching content, literacy, literacy skills. Can you speak? We're teaching critical thinking. What are we teaching? What are we teaching? Or is it just glorified daycare? So parents can work. We'll keep you in these cages and these desks. It shouldn't be that, but I do think there should be leashes for some. And that is the quote that gets me fired. I'm kidding. There shouldn't be leashes. There shouldn't be leashes. I'm going to have some more coffee. It's going to get a little faster on this podcast. It's got to look, it's got to get a little faster and it's got to get a little weirder. Okay. So buckle the fuck up. I said, buckle up. I'm talking to you. All right. Look in the mirror right now. This is your time. Nobody come and bring you down. Yup. Just read another chapter of the Dr. Neil Cobrin book called Emotional Well-Being. About how we should not rely on the approval of others for our own validation. But my God, we all do, don't we? We all like acknowledgement, recognition. We like compliments. We're not good at taking them, but a lot of us like recognition. That's why so many hikers now post photos on Facebook for the likes. You couldn't just go on that hike. You couldn't just go on a hike in nature. There's a lot of photos of, hey, everyone, I hiked. It's not a truly natural experience, though. You're on your phone taking the photos and then waiting to collect the likes. But it's just a microcosm of how many people rely on others to build their self-esteem instead of digging deep within and just saying, I'm me. That's fine. I'm okay as is. I could read the whole passage, but I won't. I've already quoted somebody verbatim, so I can't do that twice. That becomes a little too academic, and that's not why you tune into this shit. But it was a good chapter. It was a good chapter because I realize I do that. And I realize I need a therapist for other reasons. And this guy, this doctor, I'm reading a book of a guy who actually lives here in Marin, and I called his office. I was like, holy shit. I think I want an appointment. How cool that you're reading a self-help book and you realize, wait, the author lives here in Marin. And I call the office and the lady says, he's not taking any new patients at this time. And I go, oh, okay. But does he have a sliding scale? And she goes, he certainly doesn't. She said it in the nicest voice. He's not taking any clients right now. Sliding scale? (laughs) Sir, he absolutely is not. And I'm just thinking, how much is this guy charging? Therapists can charge a lot. 
Because a lot of people look at them as magicians. They have the magic elixir to make me feel better. And some of them do. There are some really good therapists out there that probably can change lives. But what could they charge? Over $200 a session? Probably a really good therapist could charge, what, $300? $400? $500 a session to make you feel better. So I'm not going to go see Dr. Neil, but I do like this book. I like what he's saying, and I do need therapy. And if you're like, oh, what's wrong, Josh? Guess what? You need therapy, too. You do. You do. And now this just turned into me attacking you. And you go, I don't want to listen to a podcast where he attacks me. I'm just looking for some entertainment. Are you really? Are you? Then go listen to Bobby Lee. Tiger Belly's very good. I mean, it's hit or miss, just like this at times. But Bobby Lee's pretty good. Y'all know about the Donut King on Hulu? Do you know about the Donut King? That's probably the best documentary I've seen in a while. Ted the Donut King? This guy Ted is a Cambodian refugee. I learned more about Cambodia from a donut documentary than I ever did in a classroom. Documentaries nowadays? Are you kidding me? Fast-paced, incredible footage, awesome score, good music. Just these filmmakers who go all over the world and find the right people and they have the best interviewers. So The Donut King on Hulu is my big recommendation right now. And I had a buddy tell me that Ken Burns actually is not good for teenagers. Ken Burns, although we can all glorify Ken Burns with his slow style, the next morning Amelia woke up and saw her husband laying down on the grass covered in his own blood and guts. The Battle of Ticonderoga proved to be a horrorful, a harrowing, a horrorsome event for many that day. And you see some pictures and some stills, and it's about, what, nine parts? Nine one-hour parts, Ken? And Ken's clearly a genius, and I'm 40 years old, so I like Ken Burns, but my buddy Jason, when he was talking about Ken Burns, he's like, you realize... 15-year-olds are not clamoring for more Ken Burns documentaries, and it actually could be a tune-out to history. You got to think about that. If kids go, my science class is boring, you go, but science isn't boring. If they go, my history class is boring, but history's not boring. All right, there are some subjects that just need to be taught in a different way. So if you like to learn about history through documentaries, go for the Donut King, which is, in my opinion, probably superior to what Ken Burns could teach me about Cambodia. Because I like to look at donuts when I learn about Cambodia and I learn about the horrors that these people, horrors that these people were fleeing from. So as Ted flees Cambodia, he learns the donut business. A young man, he learns the donut biz from one of the higher ups at Winchell's and then he starts opening his own donut shops. And then they reveal that about 90% of these privately owned donut shops are by Cambodians throughout California. Because of Ted, the Donut King. And the donut business is actually tough. They were all saying, yeah, we work like 19 hours a day. Our kids are there, not going to school. Forget labor laws for a moment. Just looking for a better life in America. All these Cambodian refugees, they turn to Ted and he's helping them get franchises. And he goes from literally broke to literally a multimillionaire. And then he literally blows it all at the blackjack table. In Vegas, blew it all. It's about gambling addiction. It's about Cambodia, the genocide. It's about the communist regime. It's about donuts. 
And then it's about this new age donut renaissance as well. Or like the Johnny Donuts where they're making them too cute. It's not just glazed and jelly filled and maple, but now they're putting bacon bits and relish on it and a bunch of dumb stuff. But Ted's a legend, even though he cheated on his wife. Shouldn't do that, Ted. He sponsored over 100 Cambodian families that wanted to come live in America. And he had a big mansion. He just said, yeah, you can live with us. Just, yeah, you can live with us. He would lease all these donut shops to Cambodian immigrants. It was all like his network. It's all traced back to his own network. He owned so many donut shops. He was bringing in millions upon millions upon millions, and then it's an ugly ending. It's the rise and fall, the rise and fall. And even though donuts are the backdrop for this doc, it's a bigger story, just like most things. It's a bigger story. The interviews are so good. Highly recommend. You're already home? Does that mean you want to be on the podcast? No. Yeah. Because I heard you enter. In the bedroom? Ten minutes. I can't. Because I know you're right there. Sorry, I'm recording in a place where I'm heavily distracted. My wife just came back from the dentist. I thought I had more time. I thought I had more time. I can't record if people are around. I don't have that ability to do anything when people are around. Except shower at the Y. I'm pretty good at showering at the Y. With a lot of people around. But hey, that took a lot of courage to do that. As a kid, I wasn't down with that. Going to the gym in high school, I wasn't down to just shower with the wrinkly, nice old... Nope. Not going to go down that path again. I think I'll just continue this path for a moment, though. It's your time now. Don't let nobody come and bring you down. Hey, baby. You got them on the run. You know. You got them on the run. Hey, baby. All right, I'm ending with this. From the time I was, honestly, in third or fourth grade, I was hooked on Saturday Night Live. Hooked. I am now 40 years old, and I don't think I've ever missed an episode. I really don't. I've seen a lot of stars come in and out. And I think I was introduced to that John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, young Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Mike Myers was there. And it kind of evolves into the Adam Sandler, David Spade, Chris Rock, Chris Farley. Of course, it evolves again into Horatio Sands and Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry into Molly Shannon, Maya Rudolph, into Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, Jimmy Fallon. It keeps evolving and evolving. And now it's kind of like that Kate McKinnon, Keenan. Keenan's actually just always been there. And I find myself, for the first time in my entire life, wondering... Should I still be watching? It's that bad. It's that bad. And for years I would defend it. And I now understand it's an age thing. When you're young, that's your favorite. 
And then you're also chasing it. Like as you age, you go, well, maybe they'll be funny again. Maybe they'll find someone else who's funny. And it's not just the skits, but the musical guests. Like they had this rapper this past weekend who was so bad it was laughably bad, but there are good rappers out there. Atmosphere, Brother Ali, The Grouch, Eli. There are really good rappers that nobody has ever heard about, and they'll never be on Saturday Night Live. Black Alicious would have never been on Saturday Night Live. And then they got this guy grunting and mumbling. He had no stage presence, no voice, no lyrics, no beat. And that's Lorne Michaels on Saturday Night Live presenting rap to America. Because if you're not a rap fan and that's your glimpse into rap, you go, I hate rap. And guess what? I like rap, but I hate that shit. I hate whatever that was. So SNL has a responsibility. Capture what's going on, present it to the nation, and if it's such dog shit that you got to just hit that fast forward immediately, then you do start to wonder, what, what am I doing? What am I watching this for? I'm not laughing out loud. Like this whole season, I'm not laughing at all. I still look forward to it like you can't believe, though. Actually, I get excited throughout the day on Saturday knowing that tonight on the couch I got SNL. And I do like the monologue and I do like Weekend Update, but all the skits and all the musical guests are just terrible. But it's just terrible to me because you know there's a kid in fourth grade who stayed up late with his parents or maybe on a sleepover with friends and they're loving it. And I got to attain that mindset that it's not really for me anymore. I just stay with it. It's like when my Warriors were awful for so long. I still watched all the games. I still watched all the games. It is like being a sports fan of a shitty team. You're like, it's still my team. I guess it's still my show. But at some point you go, is it even worth my time? I only have so many minutes on planet Earth. Is it worth my time to still do this? Fast forward. I look at my wife. Neither of us are laughing. Fast forward. I look at my wife. Neither of us are laughing. Fast forward. And I like a lot of the cast members. And I look forward to next week. I look forward to the following week as if it's going to be funnier. But it's not. We're just going downhill because I'm getting older. But there's probably a bunch of kids out there. Actually, I know this for a fact. There's a bunch of kids out there that love Pete Davidson. And I even had a former student of mine heard me ripping Pete Davidson because I don't think he's that funny. But this former student said, Mr. Rosenberg, quite simply, you don't get it. The kid's like, I loved your class. I like listening to your podcast. But when you talk about Pete Davidson, you clearly show how little you understand the younger generation. And he was right. He was right. Because I read an article that Pete Davidson is one of Lauren's greatest creations. The way he has expanded the show now to continue reaching younger people. So the Josh Rosenbergs who become in their 40s and 50s, Lauren doesn't give a shit about me. He's trying to establish the new generation of fans who are going to grow old and then criticize the show on a podcast, just like I'm doing. How very meta that I'm criticizing it, but I could also see myself laughing at Chris Farley. I could see that kid on a sleepover with Micah laughing at Chris Farley. And now I realize, oh, that was very funny, but probably not great for 40 and 50 year olds. I'm guessing that there were some people in their 40s watching Chris Farley, Matt Foley fall onto the coffee table, and they were like, huh, this isn't Chevy, this isn't Belushi, this isn't my generation, because we just cling to our stories, and we have this narrative of our heyday, we romanticize the shit out of our heyday, and we don't advance that well. Even Seinfeld had the joke that when men get married, that's when their fashion stops, they just continue dressing that way for the rest of their lives, because it was good enough. So hey, young kids who like Pete Davidson, you really appreciate his comedy. You understand the magic. I don't, but I love that you love it because now we're in the same club. It's called SNL for Life, and I'll stay with it. I don't know why. It's a waste of time. It's like cheering for your last place team, but it's a first place team for some. And with that, 
I think I'll say goodnight, just like Mark Abanya said after 43 years on KTVU. He said goodnight forever, but I'll just say goodnight for a week. And I'll be back with you next week. This has been 180 episodes. Holy shit. This one's 180, right? 180. It's in the books, folks. Drop a rating on iTunes. Do it. Come on. Let's really set the show ablaze. Drop a nice rating, a nice review on iTunes because we're besties for life. And we'll go to Things Remembered in the mall and we'll engrave bestie necklaces together or bestie bracelets, whatever you want. You take the half that says B-E, I'll take the S-T. You take the F-R-I, I'll take the E-N-D-S. And then we'll have jewelry from Things Remembered at the mall together. And that's how friendships last right here on Here We Go. (laughs) 